This morning, um, as God's people, I want to take a look at something that oftentimes is very, very hard to see. I want to spend some time talking about something that can really never be fully explained. My hope this morning, my prayer, is that as a result of our time together, we can have some clarity on something that we may never fully understand, at least not until we get to heaven. What I want to do this morning is talk about the topic of finding and following God's will for our lives. Finding and following God's will for our lives. Because our God is infinitely powerful, because he is all-knowing, because he desires to help us grow and, and mature and be shaped day by day to look more and more like his son, God is actively involved in every one of our lives to shape us and grow us and help us to become the men and women that he created us to be. If you think about it, that's absolutely stunning that the God of this universe is actively involved in your life, in my life. And yet, sometimes from our perspective, how God is involved, or what he's calling us to do, or how we are supposed to respond can sometimes seem like a big mystery, right? At least it has in my life. I think a lot of that confusion comes down to our perspective. Our human tendency is to just focus on our position, you know, where we are, where we want to go, and what we might need to do to get there. But I don't think God is so much concerned about our position as he is about a process. That God, day by day, is shaping us, growing us, chipping away at the things that should no longer be there, and, and he's building in the things that should be there so that we'll look more and more progressively day by day, by day like his son, Jesus Christ. And as God takes us through that process, sometimes it's refreshing for us to know that all of us, you, me, and everybody else in here, we are a work in process, okay? Hope that that lets us take a deep breath. We don't have to have it all down perfect because God is taking us through this process. And he does that he reveals to us his will. My wife Jen and I have been married for 21 years, Scott, we're a year behind you, and uh, we've spent a good number of our years together uh, ministering to and helping to disciple college students. And when it comes to this topic of finding and following God's will for your life, man, college students are all over it. Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to have? Where am I going to live? What, what is, what's God's purpose for my life? Some of you students, maybe you're starting to ask some of those questions right now, and that's awesome. It's wonderful. What about the rest of us? We're past that stage of life, and we're no longer asking, who am I going to marry, or what am I going to do for a job? Those questions have been settled, and now we have... A, a, a mortgage to pay. We're trying to save for retirement. Many of us are in the thick of raising kids or others are enjoying the awesomeness of being grandparents. And so you might raise the question, you know, Matt, some of those questions of, of who am I going to marry, what am I going to do with my life, those have been settled long ago. And so is this question of, of finding and following God's will, is that even relevant anymore? My answer to that question would be absolutely, 
absolutely the topic of finding and following God's will is relevant for all of us, every single person in this room. Because remember, God isn't so much concerned about the position we are, what stage of life we're in, as he is about the process that he wants to walk us through to help us become more and more like his son, to be more and more equipped to be like Jesus and to be his ambassadors in this world all around us. Here at Redeemer, we like to express that thought sometimes by pointing to our mission statement. Mitch said it earlier that as a church, we want to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. And if I could just take that phrase, joyfully follow Jesus, and drill down on a little bit, among other things, that's got to mean that we are being sensitive to and responsive to the leadership that God has in our life. In other words, finding and following God's will. And so let's take a look at it this morning. Let's, let's discover how God leads us and what it looks like for us to follow. What, what are some key attitudes? What are some crucial decisions that we have to make? And let's see if by, by our time together, again, on a topic that's difficult to fully understand or explain, then maybe we can take a few steps forward as followers of Christ. If you have a Bible or maybe a device, would you turn or tap your way with me to Numbers chapter 9? Numbers chapter 9. Numbers is in the Old Testament. It's book number 4. Numbers chapter 9. While you're getting there, let me give you just a little bit of context. God's people, the nation of Israel, had spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And God, through his power and his faithfulness, raised up Moses to lead them out of slavery in Egypt and get them on the road to the promised land. He wanted to take them on the journey to the promised land. Now, if you know anything about that journey, you know that that journey was not a quick or easy trip. It was kind of a hot mess, all right? But in, in this text, in Numbers chapter 9, we're going to see how God faithfully and powerfully led his people. We're going to see a great picture of how he led. Let me read it to you. It starts in verse 15. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, let me stop. The tabernacle is like a portable temple. It's the place where God met with his people as they were on the journey. That was the tabernacle. And it says, now, on the day the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And in the evening, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. 
whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. It's a pretty cool story, right? What's it saying? At the broadest level, what we see here is that God is leading the people, and the people were following him. God was faithful to show the people the way to go, and the people were faithful to follow him. That's what the story is about. Let's take a deeper look. Let's, let's dive into some of the details, go beneath the surface. Let me start by making a really crucial observation here, all right? As God is leading his people on the way toward this promised land, as they're on the journey, as they were in transit, where were they? Where were they? The Bible calls it the wilderness, okay? Now, the wilderness refers to a vast stretch of land that's between Egypt and where modern-day Israel is. And this is rocky, desert, mountainous country. Um, while that wilderness would have had a rugged beauty about it, I think that I could summarize, if I could, the way that trip must have felt to go through the wilderness in two words. Not comfortable, all right? Not comfortable. To journey through the wilderness during the days, it would have been blazing hot. At night, it would have been bone-chilling cold. The people were carrying heavy loads over rocky, uneven terrain. And so again, the wilderness, not comfortable. Sometimes we can fall victim to the mistaken notion that if we're following God's will, if, if, if God is leading us and we're following him, then man, life is going to be easy. It's going to be smooth. It's going to be comfortable. It's just going to be one awesome day after another. Have any of you ever fallen victim to thinking that? That, man, if I'm following God, man, things are going to be awesome. The problem with that kind of thinking is that sometimes life takes us to a place that's like the wilderness, not comfortable. And when we're there, we begin to think, you know, what's happened? This is way harder than I thought it was supposed to be. God would never have led me here. God, what are you doing? I mean, where are you? Have you just abandoned me? I feel all alone. I want you to take a closer look here at Numbers 9. Okay, take a closer look, and the text almost goes out of the way to emphasize that every step of the journey of the people of God took in that wilderness, that God was with them. He was with them. It starts out, verse 15, Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. So it started on the day the tabernacle was built, and continuously the cloud would cover it by day, the appearance of fire by night. The text is telling us that from the day this journey started, all the way through, God was with his people. He never abandoned them. Our circumstances, our circumstances certainly look way different 
None of us are journeying through a desert right now, right? None of us are, maybe? No, none of us? But I've got to imagine in a room this size that there's some of us who might feel like, you know what, this kind of feels like wilderness, not comfortable. If you're in that place, and if you begin to feel like, gosh, God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Where are you, God? I want to encourage you with this fact. God will never desert you, and he'll never forsake you. Those aren't words that I came up with just to make us all feel better. That's Bible. That's Hebrews 13.5. God will never abandon you, and he will never forsake you. If you have, through faith, put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, you have become his child. And like a good father, the father, our father never abandons his children. That is a fact. And our facts must always trump our feelings. If you're ever in that place of thinking, man, God, have you abandoned me? Have you lost track of me? Remind yourself of this fact. You are God's child and he will never leave you and never abandon you. There's another observation I want to make here in Numbers 9, and it's the way that God was controlling the timing and the direction of their journey. You can see it there in verse 17. It says, whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would set out. That's the timing. And then it says, in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. That's the direction. The people of Israel never been this way before, right? I mean, they just spent the last 400 years in slavery in Egypt. So they never walked this way before. None of them knew where they were going. But God was with them. And God's like the ultimate GPS system, right? God is controlling the timing and the direction of their travel. And this pattern begins to emerge. You kind of see it over and over again, that when God says go, they go. And when God says stop, they stop. And when God says here, they stop here. When God says there, they stop there. You see this pattern. And yet, I want you to check this out. This verse has just blown my mind ever since I read it for the first time. Look at verse 22 with me. Whether it was two days or a month or a year, that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and didn't set out. But when it was lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. At the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. Again, the nation of Israel was in the wilderness. Remember, not comfortable. And yet at times, as God is leading them, at times he has them stay there in that wilderness for a couple of days, for a month, or even up to a year. I don't know if you're following along, but at this point I'm thinking, what? What? I mean, we get frustrated when our commute home lasts an extra 30 minutes, right? And yet God is having them stay camped in the wilderness for up to a year. It's crazy. 
But I want you to know something, that God, in his leadership, as he's controlling both the timing and the direction, God's leadership is not random. God is, is not just, you know, kind of off doing other things, and, oh, yeah, my people are back there camp. Let me go take them out of there. That's, that's not the way God is operating. Again, you see it over and over again in the text. At the commandment of the Lord, they go, and at the commandment of the Lord, they set down. I mean, there is a clear, active leadership in uh, this, this journey that God is taking his people on. The truth I want to bring home from this and bring home to you and me today is this. That as God is leading you, as God is leading me, as he's being faithful and he's with us, that at times we may find ourselves at a spot on the journey that we're in the wilderness and it's not feeling very comfortable and we're thinking, man, this has taken way longer than I thought it was going to take. I think what this text is, is teaching us is a great principle of, of, of being a, one of God's people is to faithfully follow God as he leads you. Don't try to run ahead. Don't try to hurry it along. Faithfully follow God as he leads you because not only is he with you, but he knows where you're going and he knows what it's going to take to get there. So let him lead you. Some of us need to hear that today. I need to hear that today. We can follow our Father because he is faithful and good. Now, here's the thing. This story from the book of Numbers, it gives us a great picture, right? We have a great picture of how God is actively leading us, and we can always take away these, 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 uh, these principles that God is with us and that he is controlling the timing and the direction that we can follow his faithful leadership in our lives, but there's one factor in this story that just jumps off the page at us. There's one detail here in this story that is completely missing from our experience, okay? And that's the fact that, that as God's people, we can't look up and see God hovering over us in a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night. Can't do that. There's no hole in the roof where we can look up and see, oh, look, there's God. Oh, he's moving. I guess we better follow him. It doesn't work that way today. That's how he, got, how he did it back then. But how does God lead us today? What are the instruments that God uses to guide us along this process of becoming more and more like his son, Jesus Christ? What I want to do this morning is take a look at some scripture throughout the Bible, and there seem to be at least four powerful instruments that God is using in the lives of his people to guide us along in this process. I know in my life, at various points along the journey, each of these four areas has been extremely significant. So let's, let's, let's talk to them together. The first and most basic one is that this, that God leads us through his written word, the Bible. God leads us day by day through the words of this book. Psalm 119, verse 105, says it clearly that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God himself told his man Joshua, who took over after Moses, he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
God's word is a powerful instrument that he uses to shape us and, and steer us and guide us along this process of growth. Now, sometimes God makes his will very clear in the scriptures in the form of a precept. Okay, let me tell you what a precept is. A precept is a very clear black and white statement that reflects what is the will of God on a particular matter. Okay? It's clear. It's black or white. It doesn't, doesn't have any room for deliberation. Let me give you an example. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It's an example of a precept. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay? It's a precept. It's, it's clear. It's black and white. It's like a road sign that says speed limit 35 miles an hour. Okay? A speed limit sign that says 35 miles an hour, it's clear. What's speeding? Anything over 35 miles an hour. There's no deliberation, okay? And so uh, when it comes to this topic of, of how we're supposed to handle sexual immorality, what are God's people supposed to do with it? We're to abstain from it, okay? That's a precept. God also gives, in addition to these precepts, God gives us in the Bible many, many principles. Let me tell you what a principle is and how it differs from a precept. A principle kind of guides us along the way. It's a general guideline that God gives to us, but it's going to require maturity. It's going to require discernment. It's going to require faith as we seek to understand it and to apply it to our lives. Uh, let me give you an example of a guiding principle from God's Word. This is from Romans chapter 12. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That's a, a guiding principle. And, it, and if I could go back to our roadside illustration, this is like a road sign that says drive carefully. Okay? It gives us good uh, direction. Okay, be careful as you drive. But the way you apply that principle depends on the circumstances you're in. What if you're on a straight road that's kind of uncongested, well, driving carefully might mean driving 40 miles an hour. But what if you're on a road that's curvy and covered with ice? You might need to go five miles an hour or two if you live in Texas, okay? So um, th these are principles, and we have to, to, to kind of apply them with faith and with discernment and with wisdom. This principle from Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It gives us good direction but the way that we apply that specifically to our lives, it depends on our own particular set of circumstances. Sometimes God's word can be a challenge to understand. Sometimes it's going to be hard to apply. My encouragement to you as a pastor is this. Go slowly, pray, and ask God's help. Uh, get help from a, from a friend or from a pastor or somebody who's walked with Christ more. Um, Always keep the context in mind and remember this, that when it comes to God's will, he will never, underline, never lead you or me to do something that's in contradiction to his word. I've had too many people try to tell me, you know what, um, I'm trying to you know, give some money to this organization, so I'm just going to not uh, report all my income and my taxes this year. No, you're not. <laughs> Because God says we're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to steal, okay? God doesn't have a speech impediment. He makes his will clear. And when it's clear, we are to follow it, all right? One last thing I want to say about this. Um, this is something I learned from David Sheridan, one of our divorce care leaders. Uh, David is quick to tell people he's made lots of mistakes in life. 
But one thing he has learned is that he has never regretted uh, learning and following God's word from the Bible. He's never regretted putting into action something that God's word has called him to. And that's, that's good wisdom. I appreciated him sharing that with me. So there's another powerful instrument that God uses to lead us day by day. And this one is a little bit more difficult to get our hands around. We can hold God's word in our hands and we can read it. This one's a little bit more difficult to quantify or more, uh, more of a challenge to, um, to grasp. It's, it's that God, the Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor, can prompt us along with inner promptings, okay? That as we're going day by day, God, the Holy Spirit, leads us. He prompts us. He steers us, okay? That's always in fulfillment with God's will for our lives. Let me give you a great passage of scripture that illustrates uh, this dynamic at work. This is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. What Paul is doing here is encouraging us with this powerful reminder that, that God is at work in you. You're not alone in this. God didn't save you and then say, well, good luck. Hope you can figure it all out. No, he's, he's, he's with you in this. And that as you and I are trying to live out our life as one of God's redeemed people, He's there to help us. He's guiding our heads and our hearts. And he's helping us to live out and work out our salvation. Our challenge is to have hearts of humility, to have ears that are wide open and eyes that are wide open to see his leadership and to be responsive to it. I like the way Chuck Swindoll makes this really clear and practical in his book, the mystery of God's will. This is what Swindoll says. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with thinking it through. There's nothing wrong with making a chart of all the pros and cons and thinking it all, all the way through. But as you're moving along, stay sensitive to the quiet yet all-important prompting of God through the Holy Spirit. I like that. Listen, I'm in a room right now with some extremely, extremely bright and intelligent people. There are probably more PhDs in here than we can throw a stick at, right? As we're thinking it through, as we're making our plan, as we're seeking to, to, to find the direction that God is calling us, always be sensitive to what is God leading you to do. Let me give you just a brief example from how our elders' meetings work. When we're elders, we're, we're processing decisions, we're trying to think it all through. We spend a good amount of time, you know, chopping it up, looking at it from different angles. But we always want to, to, to rest everything at the feet of God as we gather in prayer. And we're saying, God, we think we know what to do here, but, but God, steer us. Our ears are wide open. Steer us. I like that. Here's another powerful instrument that God can use to help us find and follow his will. And this is the counsel of wise, trustworthy, and godly people. What do you do if uh, you are at the spot where you know that you need to make a move or you need to make a decision 
and, and you've spent time reading God's word, you've spent time in prayer, you've tried your hardest to listen to what is the Lord saying, but you still don't know what to do. That may be a time to sit down with somebody, uh, somebody who can give you some wise, godly counsel. The right kind of person to seek counsel from is somebody who's proven themselves, somebody who has a reputation for godliness, for faithfulness, for trustworthiness. Uh, Often they're going to be much older than we are. Surely they'll be much more mature than we are. Um, These are the kind of people that when you sit down with them, they'll listen objectively. They don't necessarily, aren't yes people. They want to listen objectively. They're going to think it through really comprehensively, and often they're going to answer it to you slowly. They don't want to think it, th- think it over. They don't want to pray through it before they give their answer. And let me give you this piece of advice from my own experience. I made this mistake big time years ago. When you're uh, sitting down with that wise counselor and you're explaining the situation to them, don't stack the deck in your favor, all right? There may be a certain direction that you want to go in or a certain direction you don't want to go in. But be sure that when you sit down with that person, put it all out on the table. It will do you no good if you kind of slant the conversation to just get the answer that you want. And we can all do that, right? But if that's what we do, then we're just kind of going through the motions and this uh, instrument that God can use to help us will really do you no good, all right? So we've talked about how God uses his word to guide us. We've talked about how he can use the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit to steer us. We've talked about the value of wise counselors. There's one more. Uh, This is by giving. God can steer us or help us along by finding and following his will by giving us an inner assurance of peace. God can give us peace as we're seeking to follow his direction. Have you ever talked to somebody and they're explaining to you Uh, what they feel God has called them to do, or maybe they're making plans to embark on a journey that God has called them to undertake. And to you, it sounds completely terrifying and scary and dangerous, and you're thinking, what are you thinking? But to them, they're like, man, this is, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a little bit scary. There's a few unknowns, but I'm good. We're going, you know. The reason they can say that is because God has given them that inner assurance of peace that despite the dangers, despite the risks, despite the unanswered questions, they're going to go. Let me show you in Scripture a spot where I think you can see this at work. From the book of Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Literally, this is saying, let the peace of Christ direct your hearts. Let the peace of Christ determine the right way to go. Uh, The word there is a word they would use of like a ruler or a judge or an umpire who could uh, direct which way is right. Um, Again, we can't predict this. We can't fully explain how it happens. But when God is giving this inner assurance at peace, um, it, what he's doing is in spite of all the obstacles, in spite of all the risks or unanswered questions there may be, it's as if God is coming along beside us, putting his arm around you and saying, I'm with you in this. Trust me. 
If you've ever had that sense of peace, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is just such an encouragement and a boost to follow his leadership because you know God is with you. I've already said a few times this morning that this subject of finding and following God's will for our lives is not something that we can fully explain or understand. It's not like you can walk out of here and say, I know everything there is to know about God's will. We can't put it all into a nice little box and everything fits nice and neatly. It just doesn't work that way. We've talked about some principles. We've looked at these four powerful instruments that God can use. But the bottom line is this. When you or I begin to discover what God's will is for us in a certain thing, in a certain circumstance, when we begin to discover this is the way he's leading us, it's no longer theory. Now it's reality. And the bottom line action for you and I to undertake is one of trust and obedience. Faith and action. At that time when God gives us his will, now it's the time for you and I to follow it. All right, And that's not always an easy thing. Let me kind of wind up our time this morning by talking about two really practical things that can help you and me both to follow God's will as he makes it clear. Okay, here's the first one. This probably is not going to be a big surprise to you. My first kind of powerful thing is to read much in this book. Read much in this book. This is a place where you can find the ability to trust God you could find the ability to obey him. It may not say in this book, are we supposed to move to Oklahoma City or to Las Vegas? It's not going to say that. I wish it would say that sometimes. We all do, right? But what it can do is give you the encouragement that you can trust God in whatever steps he's leading you to take. Now, here's the truth. I think we could all agree with this, that there are times in our lives where we can be discouraged and we could think, man, I don't know what to do here. And this is really way harder than I thought it was going to be. It's taking way, way longer. And I'm not really sure how to go about following this. It's really unclear what I'm supposed to do here. But when we read in the scriptures of how God was faithful and powerful in the lives of people like Joseph or Ruth or Daniel or Paul or Peter, it's no longer like unclear. We can see it. God was faithful in their lives. He didn't abandon or forsake, or forsake them. And God is the same God today as he was with those people, as men and women back then. And so if, if all you take away from this, this message is this one thing, I can be satisfied with that, that you and I can follow God's will for our lives by following God's word for our lives. Okay? We can follow his will by following his word. Next action step I want to share is that there is power in just faithfully doing the next right thing. Okay? There's power in just faithfully doing the next right thing. Often we get kind of mixed up thinking we've got to cover the whole journey in one big step. And I think that just makes it way harder than we, than we should make it, right? Just, just do the next right thing. And sometimes that might feel like it's less glamorous, 
Like it, it's not going to get you there as fast as you want to get, get you there. But be faithful in small things. As God reveals you that next thing, just do it. And he'll reveal you the next step by step, moment by moment. So this morning, what have you learned this morning about the importance of finding and following God's will for your lives? What have you learned? Is there anything in particular that God may be leading you in? Anything particular that you feel like, you know what, I need to respond to this, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. Those are a couple of good take-home questions that would be great to discuss over lunch with a friend or with your spouse as we seek as God's people to joyfully follow Jesus as he leads us. Would you please pray? Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And we praise you, the God of this universe. Lord, you care so much about us that you're actively involved in leading us through a process of growing and becoming the men or women that, that you created us to be, that can more and more reflect your son. And Lord, help us with this. Sometimes your will is a mystery uh, sometimes fear creeps in. Sometimes sin creeps in. Sometimes we can just feel stuck. And Father, would you remind us that because of Jesus, we're secure in your love? Help us to trust you. Help us to obey you day by day and help every one of us to walk in Christ daily, to grow strong and healthy as people who are joyfully following Jesus and helping others to do the same. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus, for his death for us on the cross. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.